All right, you guys, let's get this done, right? Because really, what could go wrong once you press record? Right? Exactly, what could go wrong? <laughs> it's all going to be very perfect. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to this Crazy People podcast. Well, uh, I'm very happy to have you on. Um, before we start with anything, um, yes, this is Bo Billiting, and as as a guest in our podcast today, uh, you know my partner in crime, Ross Brummer, and Hola. I'm the unfortunate Maurice Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Bo, I, as, as I said, uh, we've been knowing each other for a couple of years, and um, I've really, really been looking forward um, for us to have this chat. I know we had the other situation the other way around, uh, where I was a guest in your podcast. And um, so, yeah, introduce yourself to the audience, please. Yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm super glad, super pumped to be here, Maurice. Yes, we've known each other. I, I don't know the exact year, but probably circa 2014. If, if I had to guess, uh, worked together for uh, for a better part of two years. Uh, and then I started my company six years ago, and Maurice actually provided a lot of guidance and support and a uh, tremendous moment of need for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm forever indebted to you. So I, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I'm super pumped to be here. Uh, in regards to kind of who I am, so name's Bo Billington, um, started a, a company called The Free Agent uh, almost six years ago, it'd be six years uh, April of 2023. Um, always plan on being an entrepreneur, and I'm sure we'll get into this in, in a little, little, little while. Um, but uh, you know, finally found my way into entrepreneurship around 37, which is old by uh, by, by some standards out there. Um, but in regards to kind of what the free agent does, so we provide executive headhunting services as well as management consulting to high growth tech companies. So think Series A, Series B, Series C. Um, you know, common theme with a lot of those organizations is leadership or the lack thereof. And bottom line, the same folks that, you know, got them to 10 or 20 million, oftentimes not the same to get them from 20 to 40 million. And so we come into yeah. these organizations and help them build out their leadership teams to kind of continue to accelerate results. So that's it. That's a 30 second uh, sales pitch uh, for you real quick. Fantastic. First of all, I'm happy that you survived my consulting. <laughs> <laughs> And second, in terms of late starter, a uh, little tidbit, I did a research for our joint former um, uh, employer. And turns out globally, average age for an SMB founder is 40. So you entered the game a bit earlier than. Hey, good for, good for me, I, I guess. You know, but I, I feel like, you, of course, you know, the older you get, the, the more inherent risk you have. And so. I would have figured that number would have been closer to 32, 35. I guess it depends on the industry, but that's that's an interesting yeah. stat. And you made me feel better about myself, Maurice. Already <laughs> adding value. Look at that. <clears throat> Look at that. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tell us a bit about how did you get started? Yeah, so I'd always planned on being an entrepreneur. Um, didn't know when, how, where, or, or what, to be honest with you. And just to kind of give you the the, the quick and dirty, um, I was just had my uh, my first child, and I was in Toronto. This is about five days before Christmas, and I was in Toronto because somebody told me I needed to be in Toronto. Uh, it looked like I was going to get snowed in and miss my first Christmas with my new my newborn child. Uh, and so I, I was sitting downstairs at a restaurant. ESPN came on, and they're talking about so and so was a free agent. And honestly, that was a light bulb moment to me where I thought. 
wow, these people are free agents and, and they can essentially kind of, you know, create their own destiny and play for whomever they want to play with in, in theory. You know, why can't that translate over into the business world? And so I started talk, thinking about it, talking about it. And um, it took me about three years before I really kind of crystallized an idea and had the uh, the courage to jump out of corporate America. I feel like I got my business to about 80% of the way that I could kind of behind the cover of, of, of night and, and while working in a corporate America and realized I would never get it further. I would probably never drive any revenue until I actually kind of jumped out and, and burned the boat, uh, so to speak. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> uh, it's just shocking that, uh, again, my name come up, came up. I hope, <laughs> I hope <we> get... <laughs> my muse, I guess, you know, <laughs> I hope we get beyond that. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me some of the, about some of the companies don't have to name names, please. Yeah. But what did you do in those companies? Because I'm, what I'm curious about is how did you get from having these different roles? And I know you had a sales role in the company that we were in together, yeah. how you came from those several roles and what inspired you to eventually come to the point where you're at right now with your company. Yeah, so, so I, I, you know, I targeted the telecom space a lot, and, and typically calling on, um, you know, Fortune 50 uh, organizations. Um, so selling uh, one, one company, you know, we, we sold uh, security hardware and software. Um, of course, when we worked together, we sold a, a collaboration suite, uh, and then the job after that, we actually sold professional services uh, into the Fortune 50. Uh, no travel, which is part of the catalyst of me jumping out, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, basically, um, you know, our, our job was to set up kind of a professional services engagement. So, you know, talk to a CIO and look out one, three, five years in the future, um, create a roadmap, and then ultimately put together a service that could kind of help them accomplish that goal. That's 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 hanging out there. And so, you know, a couple of that that experience specifically with, you know, kind of the um, the, uh, the the aha moment, you know, when when in Toronto about the free agent, that's kind of how I thought of the concept the company, the free agent. And so I, you yeah. know, I own the URL, thefreeagent.com. Uh, but it was really kind of the combination of those two worlds, seeing professional services, seeing, you know, a, a tremendous amount of inefficiencies that exist, um, you know, working on very, very, very large businesses and, and wondering how smaller businesses, you know, how they survive without the same access to talent that these large businesses have. Uh, and, and then again, coupling that world with with wanting to be independent, wanting to be my own free agent, wanting to be kind of a hired gun, if you will, from a sales perspective. And that was really the start of the, of the company, the free agent. And ultimately, kind of my charter, my task, what I was looking to accomplish was to provide small, medium-sized businesses with access to, you know, Fortune 500 talents. That was really kind of the goal. And it, it started with kind of a spark and... Um, there was a lot of ups and downs and and twists and turns. And, you know, eventually I'm I'm here. I'm still in business, still have my hair, my hairline. No, no offense, Maurice. And uh, I'm still married. <laughs> hey, I barely had the hairline when we met. So, <laughs> uh, so you, you talked about ups and downs. So tell me some of the struggles, especially at the at the beginning, because, you know, we're not the your house, your boat, your big luxurious car type podcast, but more uh, interested in, okay, you know, all the success that some people are having, they didn't fall from sky and, and got there immediately, right? It was a struggle to get there and they had to work hard. And so that's what we want to look at. Yeah, well, well the, the struggle's real. You know, any, anybody like, you know, that's what's, you know, I've, I've got a podcast as well called Find That Next Gear. And it's kind of a, you know, quasi-similar premise where, 
we try to look under the covers and see what is it really like to be an entrepreneur? So I get yeah. it. I, I love this topic because, you know, if you just paid attention to the media and all the stores on Instagram and everything that's out there, you'd think that you can start a billion dollar business, you know, in your garage and, uh, and, and exit in six months. And, and that's maybe that happens from time to time, but but not often. And, you know, what's what's true about it is that it, it is tough. It's super lonely. You know, when I jumped out of corporate America, you know, I, I worked on a business plan. I spent a lot of time. In fact, Maurice, you helped me with the business plan. And I had all these figures and calculations and forecasts. And candidly, I should have just thrown it out the window because it was worthless, right? <laughs> uh, because you, you don't know what you don't know. And, and until you're out in the market and you're testing kind of your, your thesis, it's all assumptions. And so a, a tough part for me was getting out to the marketplace and realizing that the, the direction I thought initially that my business should go was maybe not the right direction. And, you know, I thought within, you know, three months or so, I was probably going to be able to start driving revenue. And that was really around six to seven months before I actually got my first paycheck. And so I, I'm sitting here and I, I just, you know, I had my second kid. We, we just built our house, you know, um, had, a, had a relatively good, good paying job. Um, you know, the money trap was real. And then, I, of course, I, I try to blow up my, my life by telling my wife I'm jumping out of corporate America. And then I don't even get a paycheck for six months. So that that's 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 part of the struggle. And of course, we we prepared for that financially. I had money put away that, that helped helped with the float. Um, and of course, I promised my wife no no hidden lifestyle, which was a, which was a bad bad mistake. But you know that was the part of the, probably one of the biggest challenges was just was getting out and realizing that the initial direction was maybe not the right direction. I needed to tweak it, and that it was going to be a hell of a lot harder. To start driving revenue and replace my income than, than I initially thought it was. There's there's one interesting bit. I think that is something that a lot of people that are not as experienced or not quite as uh, forward thinking is the planning ahead for not making any revenue. So where did that come from? Is that just common sense uh, you would think, or is that based on a story that you heard somewhere and? I think, I think a combination of events. I think it's really easy, especially in entrepreneurship, to get super optimistic. You've got this idea. It's, it, ha it, ha it has to work, right? Why would you not buy this, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's really not that simple. When I when I took out of corporate America, I, I I didn't have a book of business. Like most of my clients were were in Europe, were in San Francisco, Toronto, all of all those places, which were not going to buy services from me. And I, I had to start locally in Atlanta and build my book of business kind of organically. And that was that was tough. And so. You know, the, the, that was that was one driver from the monetary pieces. I did realize there was going to be a ramp, but it was it was much more substantial than I thought. Um, but also, too, you know, I am a I am a family man. Um, you know, I, I often used to joke and say, you know, barometer for success for me is if I'm still married in five years. Um, but that was also <laughs> part of the driver, too, though, honestly. But that was part of the driver of making sure there's enough cash reserves um, and making sure that I planned effectively um, to, to, to float and, and, and spend the time necessary to actually start the business. Now, that being said, there is a, a, a counter thought to that, that if I had less cash reserves, then I probably could have short-circuited the time necessary because I would have had to, right? That's probably a topic for another day. Um, but no, it was, it was just kind of ensuring that I was, you know, putting my best foot forward, making sure my family was taken care of first, and that I was being smart uh, and, and not completely risky because, again, it's easy to really kind of buy into your concept, your idea. And if you're going for it, I mean, it's 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 easy to get uh, have blinders on. Got it. Absolutely. Hey, Russ, um, 
what do you think? Do we take this show on the road and quit our day jobs or <laughs> do we wait another couple of months for to do this show? Well, back in <clears throat> back in the last century, uh, <laughs> literally it was the end of the last century. Um, I did a very similar thing at 31 and had had a six month old at home and said, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to go and replace all my corporate America, you know, uh, income and, and healthcare and all the other things that you get that corporate America gives you. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, it's gonna Sure. I, I, I was Bo's super positive entrepreneur. Yeah. Like next week I'm going to yeah. be, look, I've, I've done a couple of things on the side, like on weekends. It'll be great. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you there, Bo. No, it, it, uh, you know, honestly, some of the loneliest times because it's, yeah. it's like, you know, I was very, very honest with my wife where things stood because that was, that was always, that was a non-negotiable for me. Um, but it can, it can be quite lonely. And, and then you, you're always questioning, like, am I, am I failing? Am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I in, insufficient? Am I a bad entrepreneur? You know, so it, it's, it's, it, it's the first, and that's, that's not just the first six months. I mean, at least for me, it was the first year and a half, mm -hmm. maybe up to two years where you're like, yeah, it's, it's very unstable ground. I mean, hell, even almost six years in, it's still kind of a quasi house of cards. I've got enough customers and enough revenue and things where it's, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried. Things have changed. I have different worries. Um, but the first, you know, year, year and a half, it's, it's, you feel like you're on no stable footing. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, when, when they start off, especially if they come out of a company who had a name, uh, they underestimate the power of a company that has a name and, and the stability that that gives you. Right. And the, and the, you know, the, the leg up that it gives you and you're like, Hey, I'm hi. I'm just, I'm working out of my garage. Right. And uh, can yeah, you I'm a guy for me down by the yeah. river? And <laughs> it's, it's a great point though. It brand equity, mm -hmm. zero brand equity. I had people who kind of knew me, but, but nobody knew the free agent was, they'd never heard of it. They hadn't gotten any, you know, cold emails from me, you know, any, anything. Yep. And that is very difficult. You didn't really have any clients either. Right. I mean, I, I started from zero. And so I had to kind of convince my first client and then my second and third and fourth and, and so on and so forth. But that is the toughest thing is that I, I you know, I, I'd like to eventually exit this this business um, if possible. I don't know if I have it in me uh, unless I was uh, independently wealthy to start a business from scratch again, because it is until you're until you walk a mile, it's hard to understand how tough it is. You got to be scrappy. Um, and we can talk about some characteristics here in a little bit. But without brand equity, it's it's tough. It's tough. It's quite tough. Yeah, I, I talked to a guy uh this morning who said, uh, when I started this business, I only had $40 million. And I'm like, oh, my heart bleeds for you, bro. <laughs> exactly. I'm yeah. really, I feel, feel bad for you. Yeah. But Bo, tell, tell us a little bit. <laughs> but, but tell us a little bit about um, what that that second customer looks like, right? He, you're, you're chasing around and you're sort of pivoting to find the first one. In the second one, do you go, ah, that first one was really awful. I got to go do somewhere else. Or you double down on the, on the first guy. How does, what does one customer to two customer to three customer look like for you? So, so that's a great question. I, I think every, you know, the entire time you're iterating and figure out, figuring out what you did well, what you didn't do well, where you could have improved. Um, but it, it's a process. It's a journey. I mean, and a lot of it's kind of an individual journey and in, in figuring this whole thing out. And so my first customer has, has since been fired. Uh, I think I fired them about, uh, about a year in. So we, we created a relationship, got paid. That relationship lasted a year. So about a year and a half in before they, before they got fired. Um, 
And you know, what's great though is I, I didn't have a logo with them. Uh, and I was able to kind of replicate the, the sales process and bring that to another client and kind of replicate my process and try a few things out. So it served its purpose, but it, it was just kind of, you know, it's, and since I've, I've, I've created a matrix where I've got A, B, C, D clients and they were like an, an E or an F, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, which, which says a lot, but it helped me refine my process and it helped me also to kind of determine what's an A customer, what's a B customer, what's a C customer, et cetera. And so I, I use kind of that that success and, and replicated it. And, you know, each time throughout the five, six years, I've, I've tried to kind of go up a little bit further, you know, push my price point, um, push the uh, the types of organizations that we're working with, um, et cetera. And so, again, it's kind of an iterative process where you start at, at one point and maybe you get lucky. Like my second customer or third customer, I just I got, kind of got super lucky um, with them and they're still clients to this day. And so it really just depends, but I think land, landing your first client is, is essential, figuring out what you did well, what you did wrong, fixing what you did wrong, iterating, and, and kind of repeating the process as you go along is really what I've found uh, the best way to succeed and, and really kind of hone in on your story in your sales process. But you've got you've to reflect on what's good, what's bad, and be able to pick your head up when a client is not good, because they will suck the ever-living life out of you, and there's a significant opportunity costs associated with bad clients. Cause you know, in my experience, bad clients, you know, give me 20% of the revenue, but I spend 80% of my time with them. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. that's not a good, that's not a good situation. And so being mindful of that, I feel is critical because I should have fired them earlier and spent more time prospecting. So it's a, it's an easy trap. I found myself in that trap or maybe I'm so, all alone and, it's, and, and that's an I'm an anomaly. <laughs> very common trap, very common landmine to step on. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. So what I hear from that is though a lot of, so mm. your path towards success was a lot of reflection, right? A lot of analyzing your situation, not yeah. just basing on, I know how this works, right? It's um, so tell me about how did you go about this? Because it's, it cannot be easy to constantly self doubt yourself right. because it also is not good for your confidence, right? In, in some ways. Oh, no. If, if, you have, if you have a team around you, it's yeah. easier because you keep each other accountable. So how does that work for, for yourself? No, that's a great point. And, and confidence, I think, is critical here um, all the way around, especially in entrepreneurship. But it's a combination of things. I mean, self-reflection is important, um, especially in the early days. I try to spend a lot of time just like journaling, writing, um, reading. I mean, I've got, I've got books on books right behind my, my computer right here, but reading was, was very, very helpful and kind of helped inspire me, reinvigorate me, uh, and help me kind of over some, some stumps, um, and some pitfalls. And so that was, that was important. Um, self-reflection is important, um, for sure. And, and, and one thing that I've just tried to remind myself is that what I've found in kind of in my podcast, but also my own experience is that perseverance, I think is like the underlying theme across all entrepreneurs, especially those that, that kind of struggle when they start their company. And so I just kind of continue to remind myself that like, hey, I, I jumped out of corporate America. Like, you know, your ego is attached to this. Like you, you can't you, you can't go back to corporate America. It's not going to happen. And you just got to get up every day and, and fight. And that's that's kind of that's what I did. And it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. I think if 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 it was, then everybody would would start a company. But I just kept continuously reminding myself that this is part of the process, and you gotta. It's a Navy Se Navy SEALs saying, but you gotta enjoy to. You gotta learn to embrace the suck, and you know that's that's kind of what I did. It was just kind of put yourself in the mindset that this is going to be super painful, 
And one day it's this part's not going to be as painful, but there's going to be other crap that I'm worried about. So how did your everyday look like? Like, how do you, what is it that you tackle, especially at the, as a new entrepreneur, right? Because you don't know what to do. There's like a thousand things that you supposed to do at the same time, if at all possible, but you have to, what, focus, set priorities. What, what did you do? So I've done a million different things, Maurice, and I've done I've done you know a million things that haven't worked, and maybe one or two that have. Uh, but but I'm I'm good in kind of you know creating lists and and trying to kind of dissect my day, dissect my week. Um, what where am I? You know, basically, you know, what am I doing that's moving the cursor? What am I doing that's that's maybe busy work or just making me feel like I'm working? And so I, I think that's critical is, is is really kind of dissecting that and figuring out you know which side of the access you're on. Um, so that's important. Uh, research was also critical to what I did because this was a new field for me. I really, I really jumped out and didn't know what I was doing, which has also been, I think that's my superpower because I come at, I come at the industry from a different perspective, but it also is kind of a weakness. And I think a reason that it, it took so long to kind of ramp up uh, was because I was literally learning. And so a lot of that was, was um, a lot of time was spent researching, researching companies, researching best practices, researching competitors, uh, business models, working on the website, um, but also too, then trying to figure out how to, you know, they always, they throw this a term around, you know, feel fast. Um, but it's more so I, I feel like get through tasks that don't maybe drive, you know, move the needle, get through them quickly. You know, not, that's not necessarily a zero sum game where you fail or, or succeed, but like just not get, get crap knocked, knocked out quicker. You know, you don't need to spend, you know, 10 months on a, on a trademark as an example. A lot of it in the, at the very beginning was customer like focused prospecting, heavy business development, just trying to get the brand and the name out there. And like I said, some, some things worked well and, and others, you know, didn't. And those the other ones that didn't work well, I, I tried to figure it out quickly and move on. <laughs> and something that you said, I think you glossed over it a little bit, right? So you not only started a new business from scratch, right? With nothing established prior to really starting the business. But you also did it in a field that you are not natively from, right? Yeah. So that is that's not the most common way of doing things. <laughs> yeah, well, I had a little baseline of information where I did work for a sheer professional services company for for almost two years, and so I, mm -hmm. I did have some insight into kind of the consulting side of the house, and, and so that that did help. Um, but you know, executive headhunting and a lot of the other work that we actually do as well. Was something that I, that I had to kind of learn on my own and learn as I was going. Uh, but also too, I, I, there's a period of about two years before I did it at corporate America that I spent researching, writing, creating business plans. And so it wasn't like, you know, I jumped out and flipped the switch, like, let's go. I jumped out and felt like I had a relatively good understanding as of the industry. Of course, you, you jump out and you're like, well, crap, I, I, I'm just, I just scratched the surface, right? But don't tell my wife that. <laughs> but you know, I, did, I, I was pretty meticulous. It was planned out, and I and I definitely did do my due diligence on the opportunity, on you know target client, target customer. Of course, it takes years to to iterate, but there was some kind of you know framework of 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 how I should operate, which then I just needed to take that framework and then enhance it. Yeah. Totally makes sense. So along the way, you're starting, you talk to a lot of people that have 
good or bad uh, tips for you. What were the three best tips that you ever got from anyone? And what were the three worst <laughs> ones? Well, I mean, that, that's how, how much time do you have, Maurice? Because I've, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of bad advice. Um, I've gotten a, little, a lot of a lot of good advice. Uh, and it's tough to really kind of distill that down to, to, to three points on, on either side of the house. Um, you know, I, I will kind of, you know, change that a little bit. And I will say that when I first jumped out of corporate America, I was getting a lot of advice from people that hadn't walked a mile in my shoes. So I was talking to a lot of people that were in corporate America, they were executives. And I was like, hey, how about this business model? Does this, does this make sense? Or, or what about doing this and doing that? And I was getting advice from people and, and candidly, they they didn't understand how a small business operates. They didn't understand the, the budget in which I was working with. They also didn't understand, you know, what would resonate to my buyer, which was going to be a series A, series B, series C company versus somebody yeah. at a 500 company. And so, you know, I took a lot of advice. I implemented a lot of advice. And then, and then I realized that while I still listen to advice from people that are in corporate America, the best advice that I did receive was from entre other entrepreneurs and, you know, people who have actually jumped out, they've taken risk, tried to start a company, they've walked a mile in my shoes. And a lot of the advice that I did took and implement was around what not to do. And that, that comes to, you know, failing fast, I think is, is really, really critical, yeah. you know? So like just get stuff done. And if it's not perfect, that's fine. If it fails, be ready to move on and pivot. So that, that was some, some real sage advice. Um, I guess, you know, another example would be not spending time on, on items that don't move the cursor in a big way. So low value items, don't spend time on low value items. I mean, granted, you, there, you've got to spend time across your business, but there's also bigger levers that you can pull. And those are the areas in which I feel like most entrepreneurs should spend their time. Um, so th those are just a, kind of a, a couple of examples, but there's, there's been a, a lot of bad advice that I've followed. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm generally pretty good though of, of taking uh, an inventory of all the advice that I get, uh, and then and then kind of spending some time thinking through that, and then making a decision, and generally sticking behind that decision. At the end of the day, that's what it is, right? There's a lot of people that try to give you tips or suggestions or whatever, because everybody has an opinion, right? I know there's another saying with, with opinions and and other people's parts, but I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody has an opinion, especially those that are in second row that are sitting comfortably in the back of the car while you are driving, right? And um, they are clever about this as long as they are sitting in the back, right? So. No, I agreed. I mean, I guess to, just to kind of circle back to this, I, I will say that finding a mentor was some some good advice that I've, I've received. Um, as well as like kind of finding finding a tribe, you know, people that um, you know have kind of the same mindset around business. Uh, that that's really been important to me, and something that I've kind of um, implemented within the last year or so. That's been that's been helpful. I've seen a, a number of of growth companies where the the founder is a engineer or the founder is a product person, where finding the right salesperson or finding the right CFO is very hard because it's way outside of their skill set. I've seen it the inverse happen too, right? You have a, a great salesperson who founds the company and, and just knows every single customer. And then trying to find the right engineering people is, is just outside their expertise. How yeah. do you help your customers sort of bridge those gaps and see see their blind spots that they might not be aware of? Good, good question. A lot of that is, you know, that, that's why it's also so, so paramount that we spend time with the executive leadership team. 
is so we, we really get to understand them, the culture, the company, and what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, you've got to create trust, and that that takes a little while to to establish. Um, so that I think that's the biggest component. Um, also, too, at a certain level, uh, not to say that skill sets are at parity, but at a certain level, skill sets are at parity. Um, and so, what really kind of matters is like the the soft skills and who's going to interact best with the kind of existing leadership team. And that's an area in which we excel as well, because it's not necessarily about, you know, the, the skills per se, but who's going to be the more the most effective leader within this organization. And that's something that we try to kind of hone in on. That's part of our process during discovery and, and discussions. Um, but it really starts with having an honest conversation with the company. And, and if they're not honest, open and transparent with us, I mean, we're only going to be so effective at our jobs. That's uh, that's an interesting situation. I, I see that every now and then, where you sometimes you have to not only ask the tough question, but also give the tough answer, right? Give the <laughs> tough statement like, no, this is this isn't working. So how do you manage that? How do you manage that a role that cannot be easy, right? Um, and make uh, an entrepreneur that are very confident in themselves because they yeah. brought the company there, right? They made it to 20 million, to 30 million um, to tell them like, no, <laughs> this is not how you proceed. You need to change your C-level staff sure. for you to next next steps. I mean, that, that's part of our, what's one of our core values is transparency. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you kind of get what you get from me, honestly. And now granted that takes a little while to create a relationship with somebody where you feel comfortable telling them that their, that their baby's ugly. Um, but I, I, I really don't want to work with companies where I can't have a candid and a frank discussion. And so part of what we do is we'll go out in the market and do some due diligence. And if we're unable to find this perfect person, we'll take that data back to our, our customers and, and let them know that, you know, salary is too low or expectations of experience are, are, are not in, in line with, you know, all, all these different factors. But we'll take it back to them and, and literally provide data that supports kind of maybe what's what's going on. Um, but but again, I, I've got a no A-hole policy within my company. Um, I want to work with companies where I can create an actual relationship, you know, with these leaders. They feel comfortable sharing with me. But, but conversely, you know, I feel extremely comfortable sharing with them as well um, what's going on and you know, if their um, expectations are, are out of whack. So how do you stay current with all of that? Because I can imagine that if you're in deep in into projects and deep in with your customers and so on, how do you stay current and what the trends are in the broader business world? Yeah. So, I mean, again, like I, I, I've got a lot of books. I'm an avid reader. Um, so, you know, self-help books, uh, industry books. Um, you know, I also too subscribe to different forums. Um, I use LinkedIn a good amount. LinkedIn has gotten a bit convoluted, to be honest with you. There's a tremendous amount of noise on LinkedIn. Um, honestly, I wish there was a different platform. And, I, and I'm kind of, you know, my, my efforts in 2023 are going to be to find another platform for me. Um, but, um, I mean, it, it's really kind of, you know, you've got to spend time keeping a pulse on, on what's going on in your industry, what's going on in your world and what's going on with your clients and what are they seeing? And so I, I do try to have touch points with my clients, you know, at least once a quarter, even if we're not actively doing business with them on what are they seeing? Um, you know, so I can kind of share that information. And of course, too, that's a two-way street where I'll share what I'm seeing as well. Um, but I mean, if you're not spending 20% of your time researching your industry, I think that's a missed opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask the other side of that question, Maurice. Yeah, sure, um, so, so you said, Bo, back at the, at the beginning, you said you were in Toronto because somebody had told you to be in Toronto. 
right. And and the idea of sort of running your own ship gives you the the freedom to run it however you want. So how do you how do you take care of the captain of the ship these days? Yeah. So you know I've I've got. I'm, I'm a very regimented person. Like I've, I've got to work out. I work out six days a week, you know, come hell or high water. Um, I wake up at like 5.50. I'm not going to say I wake up at 4 a.m. or anything ridiculous. <laughs> same, the same outfit every day. Um, but I'm very regimented. So I get up I, and I work for about an hour before my family gets up. Now that's like, that's usually low value work where my brain's still waking up, but you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my emails, taking care of a lot of stuff. Um, Family's up and I'm with them for at least an hour or so getting ready for school, but I'm, I'm very, very present. And that's, you know, that's, that's been very helpful for me Then I'll, and I'll work through the day, but I also spend, you know, make time uh, for breaks and for walks around the neighborhood uh, as well, just to clear my mind, be it on the phone or just kind of listen to a, um, a podcast of sorts. Uh, perhaps this one will be, the, will be what I'll be tuning into next there time. You go. <laughs> um, there you yeah. Go. And then I also too, you know, I, I, I shut down the day um, typically anywhere from 4.30, 4.45 and I'm with my family until they go to bed at 7.30. And if I need to plug, plug back in, I will. Um, but I, what's been really important to me is making sure the lines are not blurred between, because I work from home. So like making sure the lines are not blurred between work life and family life. And, you know, I'll, I'll not respond to, and this is something I've had to work on too, though. It's like when I first started, everything was freaking urgent, you know, cause mm-hmm. your, your hair's on fire. It's a house of cards, grounds unstable. Like it, it's really tough. And, you know, maybe, you know, I've, I've, I guess I'm in a different situation now. Um, but I've, I've, I've worked on myself and I figured out how to turn my phone on, not do not disturb or silent and let emails rest and sit until tomorrow. And that's been the biggest thing that I've done. I think from a mental health perspective, that's helped is just relax. You're not going to go out of business tomorrow if you don't respond to this email. And that's literally like what kind of what goes through your brain and what you have to tell yourself just to kind of chill, calm yourself down and stay present with the family. Yeah. I had a, I had a, a an, an elderly a mentor once from Munich, Germany, um, very successful. And um, he told me, that whatever email comes Fridays past 3 p.m. Yeah. It's the beginning of your end. <laughs> kind of saying that if you do this working late, late into the night or taking yeah. away your private time, your the time that you're supposed to have to recharge yourself, your mind, and your family situation, that's the beginning of the end. Because something will start to fail, and not in a good way, right? Not in a fail fast way, in a fail substantially way. It's easy to 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 allow yourself to push those boundaries, and and you brought up a good point. um, And just kind of circling back to what you asked me, Russ, is that on Fridays as well. I not always, but I try to pick. I try to play golf, or pick my kids up um, from school at three thirty. But like, you're not going to catch me, even if it's like mission critical. You will not get on my calendar from three thirty onward on Friday. Period. Yeah. Like, I mean, granted, there's a couple yeah. of situations where, yeah, <laughs> let me, let me, not, I'm not, I'm not that, uh, that regimented, but that's, that's a non-negotiable for me as well. Like Fridays, three 30. I'm done. That's it. Good stuff. That's good stuff. Hey, tell me about <laughs> your 16 year old self. If you had to meet him now and would tell him about where you're at, what it is that you're doing and <clears throat> uh, everything that's going on in your life. Yeah. What would be the tips and the tricks that you would tell this person? The 16 year old boy. A couple of things. So try harder. 
you know, like I was, I was always in at 16 and in high school, I didn't necessarily really have to try. I could still make good grades. And then kind of gotten to college where I still could make pretty decent grades without really having to try. Um, and that's, that's kind of something I regret is that I wish I had took school a little bit more serious. Um, you know, also too, um, I, I would tell myself not to lose the spark. I feel like it's really easy. You know, I was always an optimistic kind of outgoing person, but I feel like it's, it's pretty easy to kind of lose that spark as you get older, because you're just inundated with like negativity with social media news and like stuff that goes on with your kids and, and all, and all that stuff, there's just a lot of negativity. I feel like it's always impacting us and it's easy to kind of lose that brightness and lose the spark. And so that's something I would tell my, you know, my former self as well. Like, just don't get caught up in the the minutia and the BS, like don't lose the spark, you know, always, always be focused on kind of maximizing life. Uh, Cause to me, that's, that's a, that's, that's really important is just like live the best life that I can. Uh, and then finally, you know, take, take more risks. You know, I mean, I, I, I've started a company, so I feel like I've, I've taken some risks. Um, but, you know, I feel like, you know, it's easier for easy for us to get kind of caught up in this in this risk aversion uh, world and realm, um, but also to, you know, be victim to what people say. And candidly, I wanted to start my company four years earlier than I started it. But I got caught up in all the BS. Oh, don't do that. Why would you start a company? It's stupid. You, you, you're doing well. Things are great. Now, screw that. Take more risks. You know, don't lose your spark. Keep that optimism. Start a company early. Fantastic. That's great stuff. I have one more question for you. What's going on with your podcast? Tell me, what are some of the great stories that you had on there, great guests, and what to look out for, and where, obviously, to find your podcast? Man, I appreciate that. So, um, you know, quick, uh, quick selfish plug. So the freeagent.com, that's the company website. Bo Billington, B-E-A-U-B-I-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N at LinkedIn. Um, my podcast is Finding That Next Year. And uh, man, we're just getting started, to be honest with you. I I've had to, you know, we've gone through COVID and maybe we're in a recession, maybe we're not. So I've had to kind of prioritize some things um, over the podcast. Um, but I've got around 20 episodes now and I, I've really been, I, I love it. And the coolest part about it is, you know, and it's similar to your conversations, you get to talk to these high growth entrepreneurs and it's like from like back of the napkin, you know, ideation and inception to like scaling and growth and, and then potential exit. And to me, that's what excite, what's really exciting. Um, and more importantly, I, I feel, and again, similar to what you guys are doing, that I get to shine a, a spotlight on entrepreneurship and the highs and the lows because we only hear about the highs and i feel like the lows it's part of it's part of the journey it's part of the game yeah. right I mean, without those you know like the lows are, are what you know i've had more growth in the last five and a half years i mean literally personal growth and it's been some of the bleakest and darkest times as well but also some of the most fun optimistic and bright times and I feel like, you know, that struggle is, is, is part of the beauty that's entrepreneurship and being able to shine a light on that is, is what excites me. That's, that's all I have. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, that's a fantastic ending. I it is great. So I have a pleasure um, of, of having you here. That was fantastic. Yeah. Well, cool, great. gentlemen. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate you thinking of me, Maurice, uh, and having me on. Of and, course. And, of course. Good yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Bo. It's great. Absolutely great stuff. Exciting. Sure. All right. so. Thanks, everyone. This was another episode of These Crazy People in a Podcast. <laughs> and um, yeah, see you back. Um, stay tuned to this channel and hopefully with the next episode. Thank you and bye bye.